Uh, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you recall, but a few weeks ago, uh, I had mentioned on a Sunday morning that uh, I had a, a message that I wanted to bring to the church that evening that the Lord had been dealing with me personally on a subject for this year, and I wanted to, to bring it before the church and talk about it and uh, see if the Lord would resonate your heart along those lines as well. How many of you remember that? How many of you remember that that night I didn't do that, that uh, some, some things got changed and, and rearranged? And then the following Sunday evening, uh, we had Ron Bishop with us, and that was great, that, that uh, message that he gave us about personal evangelism and, and being someone who shares Jesus one-on-one -on -one with people. How many of you remember that? You were stirred by that? That was a, a powerful uh, message. And then also, uh, then last Sunday night, of course, we had our missions conference, which brings us to this evening, and I, I want to uh, speak to us tonight on something the Lord has been dealing with me personally on, and, and again, to see if he would stir your heart along these lines as well, and that is simply the word or the idea and the topic of prayer, prayer. I, I just am being so moved and stirred personally towards prayer in my own life, and I, I do believe that this is, again, something that our church, we need to be doing more of, spending more time in. And so I want to read to you a passage of Scripture tonight from Mark chapter 11, and I want to... Uh, stir our hearts towards this this evening and, and see if, if the Lord wouldn't impress, impress upon you uh, to devote more time in 2023 towards prayer. So Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 15, this is after Jesus enters into Jerusalem, his, his triumphal entry. Uh, we know the story of Palm Sunday as he comes in uh, riding on the donkey and the, the crowds are shouting Hosanna to him. They are proclaiming that he is their Messiah. And upon entering into Jerusalem, they, Jesus doesn't go where, he, where they, the crowds want him to go. When, when the king came, they, the Messiah came, the deliverer came, the word Hosanna means save now. When the, the Savior entered in, they all expected him to march straight towards the governor's headquarters, to go straight to Pilate and to confront him and to lead a revolution against Roman occupation. That's what they were expecting and that's what they wanted him to do. But that's not where Jesus goes. Instead, it tells us that when they came into Jerusalem, verse 15 of chapter 11, that he entered the temple so he didn't go to the seat of, of government power. He went to the seat of, of spiritual authority. He went to the temple and it says that he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. You see, in that time, the, the, the temple grounds uh, had a, a very large area outside of the, the, the place of worship, the place where sacrifices were made. And that large area was, is a very flat space, and that was called the Court of the Gentiles. The Court of the Gentiles was where someone who wasn't a, a Jew by natural descent, but was a worshiper of God, could go and pray and worship God in this Court of the Gentiles. 
Of course, if you were a Jew by natural descent, you can move on beyond what was called the wall of separation and go into the place uh, uh, closer into where worship was done. But nevertheless, there was a place made for, for all people who truly worshiped God to go in and to worship him. But in Jesus' day, that court of the Gentiles had been filled, not with people who wanted to worship God, but it had been filled with people who had set up a marketplace, a place where they could make money, a place where they could profit. You see, the, the, the temple was a place of sacrifice where people would go and they would offer up uh, animals and, and in worship towards God. Uh, all kinds of, of things would take place in the temple. And the, the, the leadership had found a way that they had, quote unquote, could game the system where the, the religious leaders could profit off of the worship of God. And so they had set up in this court of the Gentiles a marketplace. And they had it set up so that you could only have an animal sacrificed that was bought and sold with the, the appropriate temple blessing there in the marketplace. So you couldn't bring in your own animal as it was you were supposed to do according to Mosaic law. You couldn't even offer your own money. You had to first exchange it into the temple money, which of course they took a cut of. The exchange rate was off. And then you could go and offer that money. So there was all of this profiting off of the worship of God that was taking place there in the place that was designed for the nations to come and worship God. And so Jesus comes in and he begins to clear this out. He throws the tables over of the money changers and of the seats of those who sold the pigeons, these animals for sacrifice. And he would not let anyone carry anything through the temple. And so he runs these people out. Verse 17, it says, and he was teaching them saying, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because of all the crowd and how they were astonished at his teaching and when evening came, they went out of the city. Jesus, the, the, the temple was a place where people were to worship God, where they were to come into literally where God's presence dwelt. There was a, a curtain that separated mankind from the presence of God, of, of holy God and sinful man. But nevertheless, in that place where God's presence dwelt, it, people were invited to come in and around that place. And when they came, what they found was not a reverent place of worship, but they found literally like a stock show. Animals being sold. You know, we have the stock show and rodeo coming up. And every year for honor roll, we always, as a kid, I was taken to the stock show and we got to go see the animals. Got to see the sheep and the prize-winning cows and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a mess, right? It, it's, it's quite the pungent odor. And this, is what not, this is not what God had designed for there to be when he worshiped, when, when people entered into worship. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if you came in here today to worship God and 
There was all these cows running around and sheep running around and pigeons running around doing what they do with the the sounds and the smells and and the odors. This was not the way that God had designed his worship. In fact, God had designed it so that there would be incense being offered 24-7. The sweet aroma. Of course, the, the, the sacrifices that were taking place as well would in and of themselves produce a sweet aroma. If any of you had barbecue for lunch, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But instead, it's this, it's this circus. They, they turned the, the, the worship of God into a, a way to profit. I know this is shocking to us as we read this. We could never even imagine somebody in our day profiting off the worship of God. Well, of course, nothing has changed. People still do the same. There are many charlatans in the, in the church who would try to profit off the worship of God and, 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 and pass themselves off as people of God and they're only in it for their own, their own rewards and, and what they can get out of it and they will stand one day before the Lord and give an account. But Jesus here says, my house, my house shall be called a house of prayer and I love how Mark's gospel records this detail for all the nations. For all the nations. Now, of course, we as God's people do not have to go to a specific place to worship God anymore. The, the temple, that whole system was done away with in Christ. Christ now is our temple. We, we, he is the place where humanity and divinity now touch So it's in Christ now, and we have access to God and access to his presence everywhere we are 24-7 so that we don't have to go to a specific place. And even now, in a a certain way, we as God's people are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where God's presence, God's spirit takes up residence in us. So if his house in those days, under the old covenant, under that old system which was pointing towards the greater realities, if his house was to be a house of prayer, a place reserved for worship and prayer, what does that say about us in our lives? If if we are now the place where God's spirit dwells, right? How much more are we called to be people of prayer. And how much more should should our, our churches be places of prayer? Now, again, undoubtedly, we are to, as Paul tells the Thessalonians, to pray without ceasing. Yes, we're to pray without ceasing. We're to always to be in prayer, always to be to thinking on the Lord, meditating on the Lord, praying to Him throughout the day with whatever is going on in our day. I think that, that we need to develop that and, 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 and hone in on that, that skill and that discipline of praying without ceasing. I'm reading a good book right now called Practicing the Presence, which really talks about that uh, 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 idea of, of constant fellowship and communion with God, praying without ceasing, practicing the presence. 
That's by a, a, someone, a, a, someone named Brother Lawrence. His, his name is just the author's Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence. Really short book. I love short books. Uh, 60 pages. Really great uh, book if, if you want to read that. I highly recommend it. Practicing the Presence. Again, praying without ceasing. Yes, I think that is good and that is right. But I also think that we need to cultivate long, longer times of prayer, personal prayer in our own lives. We need to develop that discipline. Yes, pray without ceasing. Yes, praying throughout the day. Yes, when we get in the car, we pray. Yes, we pray for our meals. Yes, when we face a challenge at work or in a family, we immediately offer prayer up to God. Yes, absolutely pray without ceasing. But we also need to develop the discipline of praying in chunks of time to the Lord, of, of devoting periods of time, longer times of, of communing with God. You know, praying without ceasing is, is sort of like texting your spouse throughout the day. And that's great. I, I'm so thankful that we have that ability uh, today. Well, we could check in. How are you doing? This is what's happening. How, where are you going? I'm at the grocery store. Oh, I'm here over here doing this with these people. I think that's great. Back in my day when I was a kid, you know, we dropped my dad off at work and we didn't hear from him until we went and picked him up from work. And the funny thing was uh, he didn't have a cell phone to tell us when to go pick him up. When we, I remember as a, as a child, there was a time when we had one vehicle, and so we'd go to pick him up. My dad worked at USAA before he, he resigned to become the pastor, and sometimes we would wait in that parking lot at USAA for hours while he finished up his work, and those were fun car rides home, let me tell you. With, uh, those were not fun car rides sitting in the USAA parking lot for an hour, my mom and five kids. Anyway. But we didn't have that ability to constantly communicate, to, to check in. Once we, you know, pulled into USAA parking lot, we were just there till he showed up. We could check in with one another now. And, and praying without ceasing is a little bit like that, checking in throughout the day. But how many of you know there's a difference between checking in throughout the day and going on a date? Or checking in throughout the day and going away for the weekend? So... so both are good is what I'm saying. And we need to cultivate just in, in a healthy relationship uh, with your spouse. Yeah, there's the check-in. There, there's the, the living life together. But then you also take time and, and seasons and longer periods with one another to cultivate the relationship if you want a good relationship. It's hard to have a good relationship with someone if you don't ever spend more than two or three minutes at a time with them. And so it is with God. And so we need to, to, to cultivate this, this heart of prayer and, and devoting times to prayer. And, and I think that, and I, I, don't, I, I don't think I'm wrong in this, I think that our generation, I'm speaking especially to, to my generation and younger, we're, we're probably one of the, the, the least or, or the most prayerless generation because of this thing. Because of this thing. This, this is such a distraction. I, I think that we have a real issue with, with prayerlessness because we have such an issue with distraction right now. You know, it used to be 
that when the sun went down, there was nothing to do. And so you could, you could spend four hours in prayer. What was there to do? I mean, you couldn't even see anything. You didn't have electricity. You didn't call anybody. Maybe you played dominoes. or I don't know what people... I mean, I just dawned on me why people used to have 15 kids uh, back in the day. But anyway, the, the, the... But we live in a day when it's just constant distraction. Constantly things bombarding us, push notifications 24-7. And if we're not careful, we will not develop the spiritual muscle of prayer. At the, at the end of, the, of last year, I met with some of the younger men from the church, and one of the things that I encouraged them in was in this new year to devote more time to prayer. When we had our, our men's camping trip in October, I, I did the same. And so I've been, I've been studying uh, this subject of prayer, and I've been, I've been reading what some of the giants of the faith and, and what their prayer life was like and, and studying from those. And so I want to share with you tonight just some, some quotes from some of the giants of our faith on prayer. Uh, there's another little book I can recommend to you. It's called Taking Hold of God, Taking Hold of God, and, and that speaks to the, uh, some of the giants of the prayer and, of prayer and, and their thoughts and, and prayer life, uh, and I think it would be a blessing to you. But I want to just share with you uh, briefly tonight uh, some of the, the giants of the faith and, and what their prayer life was like and, and some of the things that they taught about prayer. So I want to start tonight with Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer. 16th century. I want to do my best. I'm going to walk through the centuries and, and pick one of the giants of the faith because there has never been a great man of God who was not a great man of prayer. And so Martin Luther, he was incredibly busy. He was a husband, a father, a pastor, a teacher, a writer. During the busiest periods of the Reformation, Martin Luther averaged at least two hours per day in prayer. This was one of the busiest people who, have, who has ever lived. And often he would pray three to four hours a day. And he took his, his, his he, he got his impetus to pray from the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. Now, how many of you know what the third commandment is? I saw, I saw one of the kids in the back. You raised your hand and now you're regretting it. Shout it out. Oh, come on. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. That's the third commandment. Now you hear that and you think, well, what does that have to do with prayer? What does taking the Lord's name in vain have to do with prayer? But Martin Luther took from that commandment the inverse of that to be a positive commandment to rightly use God's name. So if there's a way I can take his name in vain, there must therefore be a way that I can use God's name rightly. Does that make sense? And so Martin Luther took that to mean that we need to rightly use God's name and we need to do that in prayer. And so he took the third commandment and he, he read it as a commandment to pray and to intercede. And so therefore he would say that it is a sin not 
to pray. He believed this so strongly that he taught, quote, he who does not pray should know that he is no Christian and does not belong in the kingdom of God, end quote. Luther also called prayer, quote, the hardest work of a Christian. The hardest work of a Christian. And he would talk about how prayer is, is, is the most, oftentimes the most difficult thing to do. And have you noticed that when you try to pray, it seems like everything in life is just trying to keep you from doing just that? This comes up, that comes up, there's a distraction over there. You, you sit down to pray, you sit down to commune with the Lord, and don't your thoughts go to a million different things? Don't you immediately begin thinking about two seconds later about this at work and that at work? And, and so Martin Luther said prayer is the hardest work of a Christian. And I, I find comfort in the fact that knowing a great man of God, a great giant of the faith, the, the, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, he himself, who would labor two hours a day in prayer, would recognize the difficulty of prayer. He would talk about the spiritual battle that takes place every time we determine to pray. But he said that this should show us, that this battle to pray... This should show us how important prayer is. The fact that entering into it is such a spiritual battle shows us just how important it is and how Satan will do everything he can to stop his, God's people from praying. So that's Martin Luther. Let's move, move on down to, uh, throughout the 16th century. Uh, now to John Calvin, the Swiss reformer from Geneva. This is what he said about prayer. He says, it is therefore by the benefit of prayer that we reach those riches which are laid up for us in the heavenly, with, laid up for us with the heavenly father. For there is a communion of men with God by which having entered the heavenly sanctuary, they appeal to him in person concerning his promises in order to experience that what they believed was not in vain. So what is prayer? According to Calvin, he says that prayer is entering into the heavenly sanctuary. Again, the veil has been removed. We can enter into God's presence anywhere and everywhere. That we enter into God's presence through prayer and there in his sanctuary, in, in appealing to him in person concerning his promises. We, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, your word says this, you have promised this. And we lay hold of those promises in his presence through prayer. Moving on, John Knox was the Scottish reformer in Scotland. And he was known, Knox was known as the theologian of prayer. The theologian of prayer. 
And I don't know if, if you, you, may, you may not know if you haven't studied church history, but John Knox was embattled with the Queen of Scotland. Her name was Mary, Queen of Scots, and she was Catholic, and she was persecuting the Christians. And they were embattled in a very public and open uh, uh, conflict as he was preaching salvation, not through works, but salvation through grace. And there was a very bloody persecution that was happening there in Scotland. But listen to what Mary, Queen of Scots, said about John Knox. She said, quote, I fear the prayer of John Knox more than the combined armies of Europe. He was a man of prayer. He was known as a man of prayer. This is what he said about prayer. He said, prayer is the very branch which springs forth of true faith. That if you are a person of true faith, if your heart has been truly changed, that you will, will naturally want to have communion, want to have fellowship, want to speak with and, and have, have intimacy with your creator, with your savior. And so for Knox, prayer was an indication of real, genuine faith. John Wesley, moving now to the 18th century, uh, the, the founder of Methodism, uh, the English revivalist, he used to say this, that he thought very little of a man who did not pray four hours every day. That's, that's, that's quite a tall order. He says, I think very little of a man who does not pray for at least four hours a day. He would get up every morning at 4 a.m. to seek God for the first four hours of his day. In his later years, Wesley was known to spend up to eight hours a day in prayer. That's Jonathan or John Wesley. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, the 19th century uh, pastor of the, the largest church of, of that day, the London Metropolitan Tabernacle. Again, Spurgeon, well known as the Prince of Preachers. Here, here are some of his quotes on prayer. He says, as well you could expect a plant to grow without air and water is as much as you could expect your heart to grow without prayer and faith. He said, neglected prayer is the birthplace of all evil. Nothing brings such leanness to a man's soul as lack of prayer. No man can progress in grace if he forsakes prayer. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. And finally, he said that anything is a blessing which makes us pray. Anything is a blessing which makes us pray. Moving now from the 19th century to the 20th century, lots of people that we could quote, but I just want to share with you one from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's the very prominent evangelical leader in England. He said this, always respond to every impulse to pray. 
always obey such an impulse. Where does it come from? It is the work of the Holy Spirit to respond to every impulse to pray and to pray at that moment. That's something that I think we need to really put an emphasis on in 2023. To, to respond to every impulse to pray. You, you know who is not going to put that on your heart? The devil. When, when you're out, we, listen, we're called to be salt and light. We, we come and we gather here on Sundays, but when we leave this place, we enter a mission field. I know we're not called to Mexico or China or Japan or East India or wherever. God's called us to San Antonio. But when we leave this campus, when we pull out onto Callahan Road, we enter a mission field of souls. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe you're the only Christian there. Maybe you're the only light there. Maybe it's just out and about through your daily life. But when the Lord puts it on your heart to pray, that's an invitation to invite heaven into that situation. Well, whatever's going on, you may be in the checkout line at H-E-B. And the Lord puts it on your heart to pray for that cashier. Do it. Let's respond. That's the Holy Spirit nudging and tugging on our hearts. We, you know, we think things like, well, what are these people going to think about us? And I'm going to hold up the line, and I'm being inconsiderate, and I need to love my neighbor. And we just go through all this stuff. At least I do. Am I the only one that argues with the Lord when he puts things on your heart? Am I the only one preaching to myself tonight? Listen, who cares? When the Lord puts it on your heart, that's a, that's a moment, a moment, a moment in time to bring the kingdom of God into whatever's happening there. Yeah, people can wait and be angry. Listen, they're going to be angry about whatever. They're already angry. Have you noticed how angry people are all the time? People are just angry right now. People are just ticked off right now at everything. So they're, they're already mad. Just, you know, when you're done with the cashier, just say, I'm, gonna, I'm coming to you next, all right? We're, I'm going to pray for you because you need it. Let, let's be bold. Not just bold in our prayers with God. Yes, let's do that. And let's ask God for big things, Amen. But let's be bold in stepping out and praying with those who the Lord puts on our heart. The worst thing that could happen is they say no. That's the worst thing that could, no, I don't need prayer. No, I'm okay. That's the worst thing that could happen. But what could God do with a church that goes out every week to pray for the, 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 the harvest that the Lord wants to bring in into his family? Amen. So let's respond. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives when he puts it in our heart. I want to just, uh, in closing here tonight, uh, look at the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot of, of really, we could, we could dwell a lot on prayer. There's a lot of places that we could go. Uh, next Sunday evening, we're going to resume our, that's Matthew chapter 6 that we're going. But next Sunday evening, we will resume our series in the uh, series on worship and moving through Genesis, from Genesis to Revelation and looking what the Word of God teaches on worship. But, but just tonight in closing, to, to look at the Lord's Prayer. 
and what the, and what the Lord Jesus taught about prayer. Again, Jesus is speaking into a very specific context of, of religiosity in his day, where people would, would you know, put their righteousness on display by their great lengthy prayers. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. So there's people who are, again, using prayer as a means of not communing with God, but increasing their own social status in, in his day. Jesus says, don't be like that. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. For your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so Jesus is saying, don't pray to be seen by others. Pray to, be, to commune and to have fellowship with the Father. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray as a church body. But what it does mean is that when we pray as a church body, we better make sure and check our hearts that we're not doing it to be recognized and to impress others. He also says that when you pray, verse 7, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. And again, as we move through the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings, we'll get to this section and we'll unpack it more when we, when we get here. But he says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. But pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, a lot could be said about this prayer, and I'm going to use uh, discipline tonight. But I just want to say that I, I, I've come to believe that this is the greatest prayer. Because it is the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray. And to pray in this way. And, and I, can, I cannot conceive of there being the possibility of there even being a greater prayer than this one. Then the Lord himself, the creator himself, would teach us to pray. This prayer was delivered to us by the very Son of God telling us that God himself must love to hear this prayer. If, if God himself taught us this prayer so that we might pray this prayer, it, it tells us that God must love to hear this prayer because he's the one who taught us to pray it himself. And so what I have been doing, and I would encourage you to do as well, and this is not original with me, this is what... God's people, the saints, the Christian church has, has been doing for the last 2,000 years, using this as a model for prayer. And so however much time you can devote to the Lord in prayer, to pray through the Lord's prayer, to, to start with the first line, our Father who is in heaven, and to begin to thank God that he is your Father, and to begin to thank him that, that you are his child, Begin to thank him that you have access to his presence 
Again, how do we have access to God? Not because of our own works and efforts, but only by the merits of Christ. God, you are my father. That means that, that I am your, your son. I am your daughter. Lord, help me to live my life reflecting your nature and your just just to spend time and meditate and pray on, on God being your father who is in heaven, ruling and reigning, seated on a throne, high and exalted. Moving on from that is to, to hallow his name. Hallowed be your name. That hallowed means holy. God, that your name would be holy in my life. Lord, that I would hallow you and that I would, would see you as holy and that I would have a, that, that your holiness would have a, a distinct impression on my heart, Lord, the same way that Isaiah was, was, was moved and touched by your holiness. Let your holiness mark my life as well. And that your name would be hallowed in my life, but also in my family and in our church and in our community and in our city and in our state and in our nation and in our world. And to just pray through those line by line by line. And what I have found is that when you do that, you can spend an hour in prayer. It's not impossible to spend an hour in prayer. And if you will use this as a model prayer, you will, you will see your prayer life grow. You will see your communion with the Lord grow. You will see your fellowship with him grow deeper and deeper. And guess what you'll also see? You'll see your prayers answered. Because that's, that's, that's the whole point too, is it not? To, to have God move on our behalf? You know, I'm expecting the people we prayed for tonight that, that's not just some nice sentimental thing that we did. We want to see God move. We want to see people healed. We want to see lives saved. We want to see families saved. How many of you are believing God for some people to be set free of some bondage, some addiction, some affliction? We, we want to see our community transformed, do we not? Do we not want to see righteousness in our nation and in our community? Well, how, how is it going to be apprehended if not by faith through prayer? If not by God's people getting on their knees and, and interceding and asking God to move? Amen? And so let me encourage you. Let me stir your heart. Let, let me, I know we're almost all the way through January at this point. But if we could, to make a resolution, if we do those New Year's resolutions, you've probably failed on all your other ones, so let's start a new one now, midway through January. Let's just pray more. Let's just pray more than we ever have before in 2023. Let's ask God to move and ask him to move in faith, to, to work in our families, to, to work... To, to, to work in our workplaces, to set people free, to daily go and to bring these things before the Lord in prayer and expect him to move. Expect God to move. And let, let's let this year be the year that God forms us into people of prayer. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, my, my desire is that that in all the churches that the men would take the lead in prayer. That they would lift up their hands to God in prayer. 
and that they would set themselves apart as people of prayer. And I think that should be our desire as well, that Destiny Church would be a place where the men are people of prayer, not just in public to be seen by others, but in our homes to be heard by the Lord. And so I, I just wanted to bring this before you. I wanted to stir your hearts. There's a lot of other scriptures we could look at. We could look at James chapter 5 that talks about Elisha who, who prayed and the heavens were stopped and he prayed and the heavens were open. And James says that we are people just like him. He was flesh and blood just like us. He wasn't from some sort of special DNA or had some sort of special power. He just had faith in God. And likewise, God responds to our faith as well. I don't know how the sovereignty of God and our faith and how all of that goes together, but guess what? That's not my problem to figure out. That's his problem. But I do know that his word teaches us to pray and to pray in faith and to ask him to move and to ask him for good things and to ask him to bring salvation and, and blessing and, and restoration and deliverance, to, to ask him to save our families. He, he, his word tells us to ask for those things. And so we need to be diligent to do it, amen? And so do that with me this year. I am endeavoring this year to make, not just this year, but this year and moving forward to, to get up earlier, to stay up later, to set aside times during the day. Yes, to pray without ceasing, but also to turn the phone off, to put the distractions away, and to get on our knees before God. I would encourage you to do that too, to take that posture of prayer and see how awkward that is for a while. To humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to move and to be people who practice the presence of God. Amen?